Can carbon capture help fight climate change? It's a question this podcast has posed before, back in 2019, when we launched this series. Two years later, and the UK is preparing to host perhaps the most important climate summit since Paris, COP26 in Glasgow in November. And more emphasis is being put on this CCS technology. The UK has some of the world's most ambitious targets when it comes to climate goals, and it's betting that carbon capture and storage will help it reach them. In the 90s and the noughties, I think carbon capture was seen as a bit sinister. It was seen as a way for the oil companies, an excuse for them just to carry on as usual. The IEA have said in one of their recent reports that they estimate that we require around 2,000 carbon capture and storage projects operating worldwide. And to put that into context, in the UK, there's about five <laughs> in development. Until we have either carbon prices or incentives for storing carbon dioxide, these are going to be just individual projects going at the pace that we've discussed. I'm Bryony McKenzie, and today on the Energy Podcast, net zero by 2050. Is carbon capture technology moving fast enough? I'm in Kensington, West London. If I sound a bit muffled, it's because we're all wearing face masks inside uh, the museum. But here, the Science Museum has the world's first ever major exhibition dedicated to technology that can help solve climate change. It's called Our Future Planet, and visitors can see the ways in which carbon dioxide can be removed from the atmosphere. One of those technologies is carbon capture and storage, often referred to as CCS. And in a nutshell, that's trapping carbon dioxide underground instead of releasing it into the atmosphere. Climate emergency is so critical now Well, let's talk to Roger Highfield, Head of Science here at the Science Museum. Did you ever think you'd be putting on an exhibition about carbon capture and storage? I've written about climate change for decades. In the 90s and the noughties, I think carbon capture was seen as a bit sinister. It was seen as a way for the oil companies, an excuse for them just to carry on as usual. You wind forward to today, and I think what's fascinating is that the consensus is that if the planet is going to undergo this huge energy transition and hit the Paris targets, we're never going to make it without carbon capture technologies. And whatever scenario you look at, we're going to have to pull anything from 100 gigatons to 800, 900 gigatons of carbon out of the atmosphere before the end of this century if we're going to avoid damaging climate change. So you're saying now is the opportune moment to have an exhibition here at the the Science Museum at the heart of science. This is a really good time to have this exhibition. We have the most important climate change meeting on the planet at the end of this year in Glasgow, COP26. I really do hope the politicians get their act together And we wanted to come up with an exhibition that was of the moment, that was relevant to what's going to be discussed in in Glasgow. We've got to do carbon capture and we've got to get it right. 
Tell us a bit more about the exhibition. How have you made this kind of quite complex technology accessible for anyone who you know wants to walk in off the street or has been looking at perhaps NASA things in the other part of the museum? Well, I have to say it's much harder to popularise this than, say, an Apollo spacecraft or <laughs> Tim Peake's Sawyer's module, which are in the museum. If you say to the, the public carbon capture, they're not really quite sure what you're talking about. But actually, if you talk about trees, they do get the point of trees that somehow they're reducing uh, carbon dioxide. Just finally, Roger, just what do you want people to walk away with after viewing this exhibition? If there's one thing that you'd like to, people to take away? We have to pull every lever there is, push every button there is. There is no simple way to get carbon out of the atmosphere, but I'd hope they'd come away with a feeling of hope that there's a lot of ingenuity being applied to this problem, but also a sense of realism that there isn't a single uh, magical solution to this. Roger Highfield, thank you so much for showing us around today. Pleasure. We've left the exhibition and across the road from where we are now is Imperial College London. Students from the Department of Chemical Engineering are studying these areas, including carbon capture. Orlia and Mardu are two of them. They shared their thoughts on the importance of the technology. Hi, my name is Alia Rahmayanti. I came across the idea of carbon capture indirectly while working on my extended project qualification or EPQ in 2018. Firstly, I find it just a pretty cool piece of technology. When I found out about negative emissions technologies during my EPQ, it was and still is quite fascinating. But of course, after research and scaling up, it turns out to be a lot more complicated um, in terms of the energy demand, transport, safety, economics, etc. These are hurdles, but getting through them and taking that step to develop a viable solution for decarbonization is really important. And I think that the challenge in my lifetime as an engineer would be to get CCFs and other low carbon technologies to a commercial level as quickly as possible. My name is Madhubani Datta. CCS is extremely exciting as it provides the world with a real shot at tackling climate change. There are some cases where CCS is actually unavoidable. For example, in cement production, you take calcium carbonate and you change it to calcium oxide and CO2. The production of bioenergy from biomass and the use of hydropower are also hugely important. So in essence, it is no surprise that it's going to be extremely difficult to get to the decarbonisation levels we need without CCS. Aulia and Madhu Mohammed from Imperial College London. So what else is needed to make a change when it comes to CCS and what's already being done? I'm joined now by Charlotte Hartley, stakeholder lead at Pale Blue Dot, which is a lead developer of the Acorn CCS and Hydrogen Project in Scotland. Professor Neelay Shah, Head of Chemical Engineering at Imperial College London and Siri Crouch, Global Vice President for CCS at Shell. What is CCS used for? Charlotte, you kick us off. The main reason that CCS would be used is to remove the CO2 emissions from either an existing power plant or from an existing industrial process. So, for example, 
where the carbon dioxide emissions would otherwise be kind of vented through a flue stack and straight into the atmosphere, we can install technology onto that flue stack to capture the emissions and then transport them along a pipeline and inject them through a well into a store for permanent sequestration. And what's it used for? It's ultimately used to try and address climate change and reduce the CO2 emissions in the atmosphere. So the exhibition at the Science Museum, it aims to, as they say, ignite people's curiosity about climate change. Do you think that people even know what CCS is or, or how it works? And, and does it even matter? Nilo? I think people are increasingly becoming aware of what it is. I think it does matter because I think we will need CCS as part of our armory to deal with the climate change challenges. And it's very important that people have a good understanding of it and indeed accept its deployment because I don't think any future technology that's going to be operated at scale can do so without people understanding how it works and you know, giving their acceptance for it. I want to come back to the UK um, and what's happening in the UK uh, in a moment, but um, I want to bring Siri Crouch in, who's the VP uh, for CCS uh, at Shell. I I guess you're going to answer the global picture when it comes to CCS, because some countries are are ahead of the game, aren't they, compared to others? A lot of countries are now looking at this and are catching up very fast. But I do think you could basically say that Europe and North America are are very much ahead of the game in this sense. They've been pushing the boundaries in this space. So I think you've got the UK very much looking at this holistically and looking at a solution at the country level. You've got Norway, who's actually changing the game and actually saying, well, actually, we're sitting on uh, really good storage opportunities. And through the Northern Lights initiative that we're working with our partners, Equinor and Total, have moved the conversation forward to actually how do we actually offer CCS as a service to others. And then, of course, we have the ones where we've been operating for years. So at the moment, there's about, I think it's about 20 projects operational worldwide and about 40 million tonnes per annum is being stored. But that's actually a small piece of where we actually have to get to if we're going to meet the Paris climate ambitions, because then you need to move from million tonnes to gigatons. What volume of emissions needs to be offset to reach this net zero target? And are we anywhere near on track? So what we're going to need for reaching net zero is going to be anywhere between 5 and 15 billion tonnes a year. Billion. Of carbon capture. Billions, yes. And so we're, we're on track in one sense that we know what the technologies look like and we've been demonstrating different versions of them. Where we need to go to now is, of course, massive scale up. Charlotte, I want to get an idea of the cost, because this is an issue that does come up with with CCS. I work on a project based in Scotland where we're seeking to repurpose pipelines which are already laying the ground, which puts us at an advantage to repurpose existing infrastructure. Obviously, that cost has already been made to install it. We need to also weigh up the cost of climate change solution measures, so carbon capture and storage, renewables, a lot of other innovations which are taking place, and also the cost of climate change adaptation measures. And also reflecting on offshore wind and and onshore wind as well, looking how the costs of those technologies have absolutely fallen over the last 10 years since it's been in an experimental phase. So it's all relative. I think that the costs are high, but they are falling rapidly. 
as every project kind of progresses and as all the commercial models continue to evolve as well. Could it be that the pace of change in renewable technology overtakes the need for CCS before 2050? I would say not. I think it, it will, in some sectors, potentially reduce the amount of CCS you need to deploy, particularly in power generation. But there will always be a need for what we call firm dispatchable power generation, power generation that can operate regardless of the weather. There will always be a need to capture industrial emissions from industrial processes. And then they're always very hard to abate emissions like certain types of transport, marine uh, shipping, uh, agricultural and so on. So we will never be able to get to a point where we have gross zero CO2 emissions. So what increasing renewable technology does, it, it can potentially reduce the quantity of carbon dioxide to capture via CCS, but not completely get rid of it. Can I add to, to what Nuye just uh, mentioned there? That there's various scenarios uh, and they show that depending on how fast we pick up wind, how fast we pick up solar, other elements, that we will still need something between about three and potentially as high as 12 uh, billion tonnes or gigatons per year by 2050 of carbon capture and storage. Now, that may be carbon capture and storage as we talk about it. Some of that may be nature-based solutions. But either way, that is a phenomenal amount. And to, to help people visualise that, because, yeah, what is a gigaton? If you put the entire world on a scale, all the world's population, we weigh half a gigaton. But to get to the scale of hydrogen that we would like in the energy transition, some of that will have to be what we call blue hydrogen. And blue hydrogen is where you take hydrocarbons, you use power, hydroelectric or uh, solar, any sort of power to split it into hydrogen and CO2, and then you store the CO2. There's green hydrogen, which is where you just use pure electrolysis on water. But that also tells you that you still need, as one of our energy transition enablers, CCS underpins many elements. If we want to get negative emissions, where we take CO2 directly out of the atmosphere, then of course you still need to store it. Just even rudimentary numbers would say that we need how many more hundreds or thousands to try and meet this goal of what we realistically need to capture? Well, the IEA have said in one of their recent reports that they estimate that we require around 2,000 carbon capture and storage projects operating worldwide. And to put that into context, in the UK, there's about five <laughs> in development. I think it's also important to remember that in the context of this discussion, we're not speaking about CCS as a silver bullet, but that's you know, really not what we are doing here. And certainly that might own personal view is that perhaps in a hundred years time we won't need carbon capture and storage because there'll have been a technology innovation that we just don't know about yet. So who should we be holding to account or who should be leading uh, this drive to upping CCS even as you know in the mix as part of the bigger picture? Is it private enterprise, governments? I think the most important thing is, is to have uh, incentives that actually push this technology as quickly as possible because as I said we, we do know what we're doing. We know from the many pilot projects that it actually works. So what we don't have at the moment is any regulation or business model that really drives the adoption of CCS. So until we have either carbon prices or incentives for storing carbon dioxide, these are going to be just individual projects going at the pace that we've discussed. So what we do now need is national and international 
support for, for this type of technology. I think the large energy or oil and gas companies are uniquely equipped to, to manage CCS projects. It's taking a lot of knowledge that we have built up over 100, 150 years of extracting oil and gas from the subsurface, handling molecules at pressure, gas at pressure, and it's using that knowledge in reverse. People say it's a way for, for energy companies to continue producing oil and gas. It's about those hard-to-abate sectors where they don't have an easy solution. They don't yet have the solution, shall we say, to go to renewables. And how do we actually make that work? CCS is one in a basket of opportunities, shall we say, and the world needs to use all of them if we're going to get to those net zero emissions targets. Siri Crouch, Charlotte Hartley and Professor Neil Shah, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Is CCS technology moving fast enough? As we've heard today, the cost of the technology has fallen, meaning it's becoming cheaper and therefore more affordable to scale up. However, even if the pace were quicker, would it solve the problem of carbon emissions? No. But it's another important piece towards the bigger decarbonisation puzzle. Thanks to all our contributors today and a special mention to the Science Museum in London for showing us around. You can visit the Our Future Planet exhibition until September 2022. You've been listening to the Energy Podcast brought to you by Shell. You can find the Energy Podcast on all major podcast providers. Follow or subscribe for free so that you don't miss an episode. The Energy Podcast was produced by Fresh Air Production. And I must remind you that the views you've heard today are those of the people featured and not Shell or its affiliates. I'm Bryony McKenzie. Thank you for listening and goodbye.